I don't hear anything so far. But yeah, the occasional car I can take out. The constant like drone of a fan is just the really hard part to take out. Okay, Corbs is hardcore. He, he doesn't even let me have my fan on, man. <laughs> Not for the recording. You might Afterwards, see the might see drips. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Hoops Journey, um, episode 63. Hard to believe we're 63 in, but we're still loving every single minute of it, and we appreciate all our listeners. Don't forget to like and subscribe to the show and give us some feedback. Who do you want to hear? What are the stories you want? I'm super excited about tonight's guest um, sitting on the third floor of my townhouse. It's probably 51 degrees, and Corbs won't let me have my fan on because he's a technician. This guy is the face of high school and university athletics in our province. A little bit of work with the Grizzlies we'll get into, but his true passion in Colin has been coming to write amazing stories about amazing people in the game of basketball, volleyball, you name it, in British Columbia. If you don't know the name, you will after tonight. We are super excited. It's been a while. We've gone back and forth trying to get him on, taking time out of his holidays to be with us, and we're so, so thankful that Howard Samora came on with us tonight. How are you, sir? Wow, what an intro. And you're a pro now, man. This is incredible. I, wow, you're just, you're just nailing it. And uh, I love it that I'm 63. I was born in 1963. So I like that. That's just some symmetry here to start this podcast. And I lasted two minutes without taking a shot at the North Delta Huskies, too. So I know you're, you're, you're in a good way here. Thanks for being with us. Yeah. I, know, I know you're kind of questioning yourself and what your story is going to be like. But again, for Corbin and myself, it's always just been about the story and just because the name hoops is attached to it. Um, yeah, most of the people are coaches or players, you know, or former. Um, but I think if anyone's seen a ton of basketball, you've probably seen more basketball than most of our guests, including Corbin and myself, right? The amount of games that you see on a yearly basis, let alone other sports. So um, you've been it, you've been in the mix for a long time and we're excited. And um, I've always been so appreciative of the angle that you take to your stories, you know, you're a kind-hearted man and you always look for that that great story, um, which is special. So let's do a quick check-in with you, though. I know um, you just had a good celebration with your wife there um, a week or so ago. You're into some holidays. How are things for you and your family right now? Well, things are things are going good. I think as the world's opening up here and I think, you know, we're feeling the vibes the same way. It, it feels freeing. The last few weeks have just been incredible. Um, to get out, you know, and and see friends and see that, you know, everybody's getting back to the way it used to be. And it, it just seems, it seems so long ago. And I, I don't want to cry here, but literally the appreciation, I think, in our neighborhood of, of high school and university sports to get back to having things the way they were is just mm -hmm. so incredibly I guess the word is palpable. It just, I can just, I, I just literally cannot wait to enter that kind of form of camaraderie and see everybody again and, and get to know the kids. Like this is disconcerting if you have been doing this like I have for 38 years and you, you kind of get on the merry-go-round with every cycle of kids and, and you see them growing themselves as they work towards their senior year as it pertains to high school. And now I have no idea what's going on. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, I covered a, a BC Junior Boys Championship at the LEC in 2020, but to jump back into this for the 2021-22 season is, it's really different, right? Like I, I don't know who the central characters are. 
You know, I, I don't know if coaches have elected to step away and, and not return. It's going to be different. You know, it's going to be very different. But at the same time, this feeling of celebration that you kind of know is going to be there is something I think built into this whole thing that has everybody really anticipating getting back whether it's on the football field, soccer field, basketball court, wherever that might be. So many good points. And I think, um, yeah, I had the opportunity to hop on the ferry, go see my dad on Main Island with my family. And I got a little bit emotional too, because it was like, I mean, one, there's no nothing better than a, you know, a ferry ride in the summer, right? Like yeah. it's the most beautiful thing in the world. And then just being able to actually go over and see him is like, wow. And I'm really hoping that many of us, you know, we don't take those moments for granted that like we maybe used to, right? Like we get a little more frustrated with the ferry traffic or someone's in line and they're going to take the last burger or whatever it is, like just the little things and then just be more appreciative. And you're right. Uh, the small celebrations along the way will be great. And take us back to that time, like not to go back to all those, those memories because they were hard, but I'll never forget, you know, the 75th celebration, go down and congratulate Jake on winning the championship. And I remember Jason Winslade telling us at the, you know, before the provincial championships, we're not sure about this coronavirus, but let's make sure that we're not shaking hands with the players and the referees. We're doing, we were at fist bumps, right? And and kind of, and I remember um, Nathan Yu was down, flew back from Hong Kong to be on the bench with his brother Jordan during the tournament. And he said to me, he said, I can't believe there's this, this many people in the room. He was talking about the banquet um, for the, before the tournament, right? And he was, because he knew what he had seen over there. And, and for you and your craft and what you do, to have that taken away, I mean, how were you able to pivot? What were the ups and downs? What did you discover about yourself? Um, just talk about that before we sort of get into your story a little bit more, because I think it's important. I don't think it's probably a stressful time for you, man. Oh, thanks for asking. I'm just, you know, I'm just so honored to be on here with you because, you know, I listen to the <laughs> guests and it's just so it, it's such a treatment. Like it's like, you know, it, it's just so incredible. And, and I'm so appreciative that you've asked me to be on here. And and, and I'll be completely truthful. I, I, I said it in one of my stories. I just wanted to throw it in there. I didn't want to make it a highlight of anything I was writing down the stretch drive before, you know, my break started here in the summer. But man, I struggled. I, I've never gone through anything like that, where I just, I could appreciate all of the angst and all of the all of the struggle that the athletes were going through with, you know, their sporting careers, their academic life, their how their parents were reacting within that, and the ones that had achieved the highest level. That so many, you know, I I've, I feel like I've done my best for almost forty years to not fail them and give them the send off they deserved. The ones I could get to, and I tried to get to as many as I failed this year. Like I did not get to them. Like I wanted to. You know what, Aaron? Every story it was the same. Yeah. Every story had the same element of it. And it, it still needed to be told, but I just ran out of the chops to do it at the end. I just felt mm -hmm. so mentally exhausted trying to tell that story. Mm -hmm. You know, and I, I feel bad because there's incredible athletes in this class of 2021 that I didn't get to, you know, mm -hmm. and they're going to go on, they're going to do great things, and they're going to say, you know what, Howard wasn't there at the end. Mm -hmm. I don't know what to say. I felt really bad about it. I don't know, man. I, I, like, like, I, I think you, like I hung in there. Yeah, I think you, you you don't beat yourself up too much. I think if you were to ask anyone involved in anything that had to do with high schools and kids or universities, but like, we had a we had a banquet at the end of the year. Well, it was just a get together, right outside, and honored our seniors because we wanted to. And I just said to them, I said, "How tired are you? Are just hearing about COVID and oh, what a you know tough year." They were so done, right? So mm -hmm. really, like, what were the storylines? The storylines were, you could have just been, 
this sucks. You know, like, so I just think for you and, you know, and, I, and I'm just going to assume after you get to see these kids and these young men and women in the ultimate highs after a huge win, or maybe in the darkest moment after the, what they think is the biggest loss of their lives, right? And to have kind of that taken away, you know, I'm, I'm guessing that you feed off their energy and that's where you get the energy to write those stories and stay up late. And with that not there, I don't think anyone blames you, man. As a teacher, when, you know, you take away half my classroom and I only get to see them every second day because they're home one day for school and it just changes the environment, changes the culture, it changes everything. And it's no different than what you're doing just because you're one guy and you and Wilson are jumping around to gyms and taking photos doesn't mean that it doesn't change your culture. You still have a culture within what you're trying to accomplish in your career, right? And I think so many of us were just so tapped when it, by the end of the year. So I, you know, don't beat yourself up. You're you're not alone there. And that's a great point. And I really thank you for making that point about those the, the kids and what they what they do for us. I think I can speak for all of you guys as coaches, and for me as the guy that likes to write about you know, what you guys do and what the kids do in terms of plots and storylines that they do give you the energy. Like, like mm-hmm. that last three weekends at the, you know, of the season that we played and you talked about how incredible it was. I still can't get over the fact that there was some kind of serendipity there with the timing of that boys championship and how it was able the to The one finish. year. Like, yeah. The one year it wasn't right after, like we went back to school or whatever, right? It's just like, Normally it would have been the week late and it wouldn't have happened. Like it just, it was crazy. It just something, something was in the cards that year. I don't know what yeah. it was. But yeah. but it was yeah. it just, just the energy. And, you know, I found like for to get what we need to get done at the LEC for the provincials when they moved all those tournaments there is you, you literally got to run from gym to gym. And I, for me, it keeps me young. It's a great workout. And people laugh at me when they see me running with my camera from, you know, all those different gyms all over the place that they're at the LEC. But, you know, I can't think of a, a more joyful thing to do, you know. And I can tell you one thing. <laughs> you tweeted at the mm. end of the tournament uh, in 2020 to, to the mm-hmm. kids. And you said, I hope you appreciate, you know, the effort that's put in by Howard to do this. And I read that. I went, wow, thank you for getting it and just keep continuing to get it. That it's important that this stuff gets done. You know, it, it just, it just, it's beyond a job. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it always has been for me beyond mm-hmm. a paycheck, beyond a job. Yes, I need to exist as a person, but you know, some things are just more important, you know, and, and I appreciate you recognizing that course man i mean i'll go i'm going to my brothers in victoria for a few nights with the family here coming up this week and and he still has all my binders of all your old articles of <laughs> terry fox i've got the mugshot of me in high school so i like i know what those memories are and it's not like something that you go back and really but it's nice to have and it's nice to know that someone was willing to go out of their way and you know a guy like a steve ewan right who was our local writer when i was in high school and just the people that are going above and beyond to give our young athletes a great experience when you combine what you do with what the lec offers and i can't speak to too many other sports you know but like when i see what the lec does on those championship days with the videos and the highlight like come on like it's top notch right and when you throw it all together how can you not i mean the least i could do is send out one tweet and say hey thanks you know so yeah and i and i should say you mentioned steve i mean you know (laughs) if you want if you want to do a whole podcast 
on, on me talking about him, I could do that too. He's been incredible. Dan Olson, uh, you know, Mark Booth. There's so many great people, you know, working from the community newspaper level and Steve at the province still, you know, that that love this game as well. You mentioned Wilson. He's just there because he loves to be there and he'll do yeah. anything to help. I mean, it's such a great community of people that want to celebrate with, with the coaches and the athletes. And I think that makes it special too. Love it, man. Look at this. You're like 20 minutes in. You were worried about not what you're going to say. It's just flowing, hey? Come on, yeah, I'll lead you to the promised land, brother. Don't worry about it. <laughs> oh, boy. I love that. So tell us tell us some, you know, I, I think a lot of coaches, we see you in passing. It's a quick story here or there, quick interview. You know, the thing that we've enjoyed is hearing more about people that matter to us and people that we don't really know about. And tell us what your life was like as a young guy and sort of how um, your high school experience was. You sent me like some really cool notes and things like that. But I want, you know, you share what you feel like you you want to because I think it's super unique. And and this is an exciting episode for us. So tell us about little Howie running around. Yeah, yeah, little Howie. And, you know, (laughs) little is the prime word. I've always been the shortest person you know, everywhere I've been. But I'll tell you, I um, I went to a three-room schoolhouse on River Road in between North Delta and Ladner. And it wow. was grade one to five. And it was called Sunbury Elementary School. And grade one to two in one class, grade three to five in another. And this is from 1969 to 1974, we had one class of special needs kids in, in the third classroom, and they integrated with us in many classes. Mm-hmm. And, and this was the first time apparently it had ever happened in the BC education system. This is what I was told when I was young and just a little guy. And when the integration happened, I think it was in 1972, the September of 72, all the news cameras came to our school and I couldn't figure out what was going on. The daily newspapers were there. I'm sure there was a news camera there. Uh, and I thought, well, we just thought it was normal. You know, we would, you know, have a class with them, with, with the special needs kids and we would play road hockey with them at lunch and all this kind of stuff. And I thought it was really cool. And I guess it was a first at that time. So that was pretty kind of an interesting kind of um uh, uh, an introduction to me at, at elementary school and sports wise, we really didn't have like a gym. We didn't have a gymnasium, like an indoor gym. We just had a piece of blacktop outside the school. Um, and we were all, many of us, Japanese Canadians, son of, you know, sons of fishermen, you know, <laughs> kind of all just together on river road where, where all yeah, the yeah. Uh, docks were on the side of the road. And so, uh, you know, we just played our sports and one year we actually got a hockey team together and we got to play all the elementary schools. And it's the literally one of the only times I've ever been on a team in my life. And we would go to their gymnasiums, like in Ladner and, and Tawasin and in North Delta. And, but they would also come to our place. And the kids always complain to their teachers, why are we playing on this blacktop when we've got a nice gym? And, you know, it was, we, we kind of felt like we were kind of underprivileged, right, at that point. Either that or you had a sweet home court advantage, you know? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. But we lived <laughs> just far enough away that my dad, pretty working class guy, had a boat shop. He built fiberglass fishing boats with his two brothers and we fished on the Fraser River in the summer. They didn't put me in team sports. I had no idea 
what it was to play a high school or an elementary or a high school sport. Like I, mm-hmm. when the Huskies won the, the BC championship in 1971, my dad showed me the newspaper and I, I couldn't figure out what it meant. Like, what was that? Mm. You know, I was what, eight years old. So I was in grade three or something. Like, I, I honestly, I had no idea what that was. And none of the kids on our, on our river road uh, played any team sports. And so it wasn't until I moved, our family moved up into North Delta proper there in uh, 1976. And Sands was like a two-year-old school, Sands Secondary. And I went there and I had never played a sport in my life, so to speak, in terms of joining a high school team. So I didn't go out for any of the teams, mm. but I saw the teams play, even like the grade eight boys basketball team. Like, as soon as I saw that, I'm like, what is this? This is, at that age, I was so appreciative or so kind of in awe of the connection that those kids had to their school. Like they mm. were new to that school as grade eight kids from elementary school. But they were instantly plugged into the culture of the school because they were on teams. And it just seemed larger than life to me. Like I, I'd never seen a high school football game like standing on a uh, side of a field until like the ninth grade. And Sands had this running back named Pascal Tyrell. I remember watching him and unbelievable. Like I just could not believe anybody was that fast or that athletic. I'd never seen any of this stuff, right? And mm-hmm. it, it just really... This sparked this huge curiosity in me. Like I was taking pictures and doing the annuals of, you know, for the school and doing all the darkroom work and all that kind of stuff. But just so incredibly in awe of of kids who could play on teams. And I never, I just, I just never did it, Aaron. The whole time I was in high school, I, I never did it. And I don't know. I just, I had, I got horrible marks in high. Like I literally, I literally should not have graduated. Really? Like I, I looked at my report card the other day. And they were, they were P's and, and there was, there was like deferred credits. Like they literally just let me pass. The only thing I could do was write in English. Mm -hmm. I got a, I got a B in English one semester. It's the greatest mark I ever got in my life. So, I mean, that's interesting. That's kind of that part of it. I know I'm yapping. I said I couldn't talk. No, it's good. Was English, did you speak English in in your house? Ah, yeah. 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 Um, yeah, okay. My, my home life was a little bit like I, I know everyone's got their issues, but but of course, you know, I, my mom passed away when I was um, three, three or four days into, I think, grade six. Oh, wow. Um, I was starting at a new school in Ladner. That school on River Road went to the fifth grade. I went to this other school in, in Ladner, Delta Manor Elementary, mm-hmm. which is closed now. But we we had to jump on a bus and go into school. And I didn't know any of these kids. And you know, the first week of school, my mom, who was only 37, died of a heart attack. It, it was, it was um, just a, you know, I don't know, I don't know how to describe seeing your mother mm-hmm. one night going out to dinner at my auntie's house, and then that night, Sunday morning, waking up and hearing her screaming in the next room and having a heart attack, and she was gone. Crazy. And it just, it, it just, it just knocked me over. Like, mm-hmm. I've been told that and I and I believe it that you know what I I struggled to find a voice as a young guy. I just didn't know what to do. I was so lost, and I needed a, a kind of an outlet, an outlet to to get my feelings across. I guess, and I, yeah. and I found it in writing. And I'm telling you, the I have always been compassionate towards people who have had to overcome anything, and to me they're my heroes. And I think part of that is me trying to get my own voice across. And I think that's why 
you know, although it didn't turn out, my writing style wasn't like that at the start, like back in the in the 80s when I started writing. But I think eventually I found that voice for that reason. Love it, man. Yeah. And so that's why I, I, I think that's why I write the way I write. And I, I said to you in one of those notes, Aaron, like when I learn to be unapologetic about the way that I feel I have to write, I think my writing became true to me at that point. Mm-hmm. And, and now I am just filled with anticipation to find a young athlete and to talk to them about their life. And, and I don't hold anything back and I don't worry because I know what to ask them mm-hmm. and what to find out of what makes them tick. Right. And I think if I've learned anything over 38, 39 years, that's, that's it right now. So that's why I feel, I feel good about my writing right now, even though I'm, I'm slowing down and I'm not recovering as quickly, mm-hmm. you know, all that stuff. And this is what I mean. This is why the, the podcast is so fun. Like you just, you know, I'm sure there's people out there that say, oh, why doesn't he write a story about this? Or why doesn't he write a story about that? Or, and then you get the chance to actually, you know, sit down with someone and connect and actually get to know more about them. It makes total sense why every year you send out an email to as many coaches as you can and say, is there a feel good story out there that I can give? Because, <laughs> yeah. because young Howard never had that opportunity because his mom passed away at a young age. And, you know, uh, an, an immigrant family with a hardworking dad who probably had to just, you know, work his butt off so you guys could survive. And then there's you, you know, trying to figure that out. And my, I was when, no, I was, oh, 26 when my mom passed away. And it was even hard for me at that age. So, you, you know, you take all those years off of that for you. It makes total sense, man. That's powerful stuff. Thanks for sharing that. I'm, I'm glad to get it out. I've never, never said it. So... <laughs> I just, yeah. yeah. Awesome. It, it feels good. Well, and I think, you know, the fun part is too, is I think, you know, like the next time you walk into a gym and you have those moments, someone's going to listen to this episode and they may not know you and they may have never met you, but hopefully they listen to this episode and they maybe look at you a little bit different in a good way, right? Like mm-hmm. this guy has come from, a, you know, he's come from a very little and he's worked his butt off to get where he is. So it's cool, man. And, you know, you talked about in high school, just lacking the GPA and maybe there is a just, you know, the more that I hear you speak, just a lack of connection to the school, a little bit of motivation, kind of trying to figure it out. But there were a couple things that you were drawn to, you know, you, you touched on, what did you call yourself? Like a total nerd, something <laughs> along. So your, your write-up was hilarious. I was dying, but tell us about that and tell us more about that writing experience and what that, obviously it did something for you, but also how did it start to become your craft? And, and then how did you take it to the next step? and, and well, make it become a career yeah so sixth grade i can remember well e- even before then we had you know great teachers along the way and um you know i would get these assignments where they would they would they would grab just a blank piece of paper and they would write one line dot 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 it could be any random thought they had and the teacher would hand it to you know the students and most of them didn't really follow through they didn't want to do it they were like we were in the sixth grade or whatever it was but i always took those home on the weekend and I would just <laughs> write the front and write the back and I'd bring them in and I got such positive feedback, you know, from my teachers on my writing that I started to realize that, you know, I got confident doing it. And that kind of carried through into high school. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it, 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 it was it was fun to do. I, I was pretty, I was a pretty shy person in high school. And, you know, I didn't, I don't know how to put it. In my graduating class, it's really funny. People actually think I played on the basketball team just because of what I've done within the sport since graduation. But 
you know, I, that's about as far away as I could get <laughs> from the whole thing. So, uh, yeah, it was, it's, it's really been kind of re kind of just discovering that at the last second that I could, I could use it as, as a kind of a career move and something I could do. But, but it's funny because I, I don't know if it's part of the, of the, the family life that you kind of go through, but, um, mm. wait, sorry. Oh, that's okay. Good night. Bye. Say good night to Howie. Good night. <laughs> good night. That's the best, man. Close the door. Love you. Be a Bye. good boy. You hear too much yelling. Be good Bye. for mom. Bye. See you in the morning. Bye. Bye. Love you. I always, okay. Okay. I that. Yeah. Okay. Bye. Bye. Oh, I love. Sorry, that. man. I'm sorry. I'm. So, I thought I was supposed to keep talking, but I wanted. Yeah. To yeah. Stop. No. Keep going. <laughs> Corbs will love it. He'll. That's something for him to play with. Hey, Corbs. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, he's, all, he's probably like, yes, Eli's upstairs giving Mitch a hard time. I, I'm all over that. Yeah. No, keep going. Oh, that's beautiful. That was beautiful. Well, no, you know, it was funny because when I graduated from North Delta, my, as I told you, my, my grades, and this is our 40th anniversary, a 40th grad class anniversary. Nice. With no celebration from 1981 this year. But when I graduated, like I said, my marks were so ridiculously bad that I just on a flyer, I, I applied to BCIT. In a bunch of courses, and the one they took me in was probably the one I was least qualified to ever do, and it was completely relying on physics, in which I absolutely I failed physics, and they let me into this class, and it was it was chemical metallurgy, and wow. so in nineteen the fall of eighty one I enrolled in BCIT, and I took chemical metallurgy. I was doing drafting and physics and chemistry and pretty advanced uh, algebra and all this stuff. And it was the, it was a nightmare. I was staying with my, one of my aunts who lived, uh, um, you know, in East Van at the time and, 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 and trucking into BCIT. I did it for six weeks and I quit. And I just, mm. I phoned my dad one day and I just said, no, I, I cannot do this. You know, I just, there's something else I need to be doing. And I, and I knew what it was. I had to apply to journalism school and I did that. Mm -hmm. uh, and I uh, and I got in, so I, I started at Kwantlen College in 1982, and I went there for it was a one year program, a certificate of journalism, and I, I took that course, and uh, I had an incredible journalism teacher named Charlie Giordano, who's sadly passed away, but um, he was old school from the Prince Rupert Daily News, one of these guys who people smoked in the classroom. Oh I mean, my God! Yeah, smoked in the classroom. We typed on manual typewriters. Right at the end of the old, kind of the old school, meeting the new school semi of the newspaper industry before it got all digital. Mm -hmm. uh, that was my experience there. And I was the sports editor and the entertainment editor because I'm just an absolute, you know, music fan. Did those two things and didn't get a job right out of, right out of the J school. Mm -hmm. But Charlie Giordano helped me so much. He got me my first two jobs. He really looked after me, and, and from there, I kind of took it to the Now newspaper, on to the province, and then, and then, then moved on. But my first job was uh, actually in this place called uh, Houston, Houston, B.C. No way. Yeah. yeah. So, I, hey, I, I got there in October, and it was like, was it like the coldest winter on record in like 40 years? It was like minus 50 there. It was just, there's this, there was a, I remember seeing this sign coming into town that said it was the moose capital of the world. And here I am in this 1973 uh, Ford Comet that the transmission was going. I just barely got into town. It was hilarious. And uh, as soon as I got there, I said, OK, I got to I got to do high school basketball. And I, yeah, that's and awesome. Cool. So I, I covered the team that first year. They, were, they had just changed. The team, I think, had been kind of on mothballs for a year for a few years. Like there was real no tradition there. 
They used to be called the Houston Shadows, and I think they had actually won the provincial title at 1A. Um, but there was a great coach there. His name was Bill Barry. Hmm. He coached Houston. They renamed themselves when I was there that year. They called themselves the Wolverines, and that name is still there with them. And they won their zone, and they went to the BCs. And Bill Barry actually left Houston and went to Agassiz and led them to BC championships. Like, he was oh, the no guy way. that got them on the map, right? So. I, I couldn't believe it. This gr- great young coach that I had met was so good to me over my stay there. He's winning provincial championships uh, at Agassiz a few years later and had a great career and I think retired as an administrator. That's cool. I'm sure there's so many connections like that. But two sort of big takeaways. One, a common theme on this show is someone along their line, you know, has had a mentor or someone who's kind of like gone out of their way for them, right? And it sounds like you got that at your journalism school, that person that put their neck on the line for you to just get a gig, right? And and I think we need that. We need that break. Some people have called it luck or these different things. But I think, you know, when we're young and we have older people that can see something inside of us that maybe we don't even see in ourselves, and they did ship you off to Houston, but also for young people to realize, you know, you may finish that degree no matter what kind of degree it is. And you're going to have to go somewhere or do something or go through something that's the bottom rung, right? You have to be able to be prepared to do that. And I think sometimes we get to the point where maybe we think, well, I've finished this part. So now, you know, what's next? It's like, well, if you look at, you know, if you look at the first few years of a teacher's degree and their salary, yeah, it's not very good. And and most of the young teachers are doing a lot of the work around the school, right? So it's a couple of really great things just within your stories there. After Houston, like how long do you how how long do you spend up there, and uh, what's life like? You know, did you catch a moose at some point, or um, did you not even bother? You sat by the fireplace and wrote. Oh, I'm telling you, you know what? It, it my, it's what. Hey, first apartment, right? First ever apartment. Yeah. First time going grocery shopping, all this kind of stuff, and I enjoyed all that kind of that part of it. But literally, I put a block heater in my car before I got there because everybody warned me you'll never be able to start your car. I got there and literally parked it. And I was only in Houston for six months, if that, but I was there for the winter. So I would all literally, you could cross country ski to work. It was that, it no snowed and it was that cold there the whole time I was there. It was just crazy. And, and so I was there from October through February. And then in March, my journalism teacher got me a job at the Delta Optimist, which uh, is still around. Uh, in Ladner. And, uh, you know, you talk about the experience you get with editors. I got an editor there, his name was Ernie Bexley. And I, I think he had, I think he had served in the British forces in Egypt or something during the war. I mean, he was a, he, the guy was a general in the newsroom. Like, wow. He, <laughs> I don't know how to put this, you know, other than saying he yelled at you, like in, when he yelled at you, he yelled at you. Like mm-hmm. it was, it was pretty, uh, pretty intense. He had a good heart, but he drove us hard. And uh, you know what? I learned everything there. I learned he. We never got bylines on our stories. Nobody knew who the reporters were. He wouldn't give us bylines. <laughs> it was, really? And I had to lay the pages out on the on the on the sheets uh, every uh, every Monday and Thursday. I guess it was twice a week there. And he would be looking right over my shoulder. At, you, you'd have to write headlines on the spot. 
and he's right there looking at you. And I'm covering, you know, like the uh, the men's softball league and bowling and all that kind of stuff. But I got to cover Delta and South Delta as well. So mm-hmm. that that's kind of cool. And I covered those. I was there for. Uh, Gosh, I don't know, a year and a half or something like that. And then I got the job at the uh, at the Now Newspapers in... I got that job the day Expo 86 started. So May of no 86. Way. Dude, and, your memory uh, is phenomenal. <laughs> it was a great place, man. I was free. Like, I finally found a place yeah, where yeah. I could do what I wanted to do. And so this is where high school basketball coverage kind of shifted for me into a different level because, you know, there was a cigar store down the street there, right on 6th Street by the Westminster Mall. And they had USA Today every single day. It was there. And I bought it every single day. And I looked at the USA Today Super 25 um, boys high school basketball rankings. And I said, you know what? I'm copying that. I don't care how much it takes. I'm copying that. And (laughs) the rankings used to, Ed Peterson was doing the rankings, I guess, uh, you know, for the association. They would come out, you know, three or four times a year. I I think something like that. I did it every week for the now newspaper chain and the coaches were not trained you told them to send stuff in you were lucky if you got it i had to phone if you do a top 25 you got to phone 30 coaches every and you got to get their scores over the phone and it took hours and hours and hours i remember one time and when they went on those christmas tournaments Aaron, that was crazy Norm Bradley was coaching Abbotsford, and I remember it was over the Christmas holidays. He was in California, and he all he told me was the town they were in. There's no internet. You can't look stuff mm-hmm. up. I got, I phoned, like, literally, I must have phoned 20 motels, and I finally found him, and he gave me his scores. Like, it was crazy. crazy. But Kent Gilchrist at the province saw that, and that's how I got hired at the province. He saw that, and he... Uh, he called me and said, uh, why don't you come in and, and talk to me? Mm-hmm. We'll see what we can do. And I got a summer internship from that, <laughs> like uh, uh, 1990, I think it was. And uh, okay. there was a time where I was working at the Now in the Province at the same time, which was had to be off the record at the time. But mm-hmm. I did that until I got summer there. And I wasn't guaranteed anything, but I took it and I ran with it. And what was it, a, what was it about seeing the USA Top 25 that made you go, that's what I want? Like, what did you, what was the reasoning? Like, what, well, what did yeah. High school matters. I found it said to me that in a national publication, I don't care what you think about the NHL, the NBA, the NFL, Major League Baseball, we have space here for high school kids, right? It's, it's a pretty elite kind of a thing to put a Super 25 in, but hey, high school matters. It's in there. They had a guy, I think it was Jarrett Bell or somebody who would write these high school reports on the top players you know when you're reading about jason kidd coming up and all these guys when you know when he's still in high school and i i live that like for years from that point right through the grizzlies like 24 7 just i bought a c-band satellite dish bill disbro knows about this because i know way i gotta watch games man yeah. <laughs> he says well here's the guy that i got mine from and and before you know it i'm i'm at my neighbor's home in north delta asking him to shave like five branches off his tree so that my dish <laughs> could point at the race satellite and i could watch like prime sports and watch all these big big east games and stuff it was hilarious right but yeah that's that's kind of jumping in with both feet and really wanting to establish yourself as a writer you do this kind of stuff right and mm-hmm. yeah i'm just gonna have something kind of new right something that hasn't been done and sort of and within that, I think what that top 25 does or, you know, just the rankings every week is it just makes people more aware and it gives the young athletes something to shoot for, something to be pissed off about. 
something to have yeah. to worry about because they're ranked high, you know, like it just creates, it creates more of a buzz. And I know uh, firsthand kind of what a nightmare it is to like try to get things from coaches. So I can only imagine having to do it over phone because <laughs> there's no guarantee that they're home when you're calling either, right? Like you probably pick Sunday night at nine, hoping they were there and nope, sorry, not home. All right. Well, that's going to be 12 more phone calls next week just to get, <laughs> you know, have them not be there again. Right. We're not dealing with just a text message. I Casey's episode, I thought that was funny too. He mentioned that about the recruiting process, right? And a coach back then having to phone athletes every week just to oh, say, hey, how are you? How was your week? Like, how painful is that, right? Like, <laughs> No, and there were some great insights. And you, you figure he came along that much later and it was still like that. You know, like mm -hmm. how quickly we have gotten into this habit of just instantaneous communication, right? But I mean, hey, it's cool because, you know, when you when you have to call that many coaches, right? You're not just like the now newspapers covered New West, Surrey, North Delta, New Westminster, Burnaby, Coquitlam, Port Moody, and Port Coquitlam. But there's lots of schools in that Super 25 that weren't in those areas, but I still called those coaches. And that, that's how I got to know Rich Goulet. So the first time I ever called him, <laughs> I just needed to score. But I was on the phone with him for probably two hours. Well, Howard, let me tell you. Oh, he was the best. About three minutes in, we were down 11 to 2. I called a timeout. Okay. Said, I, I, <laughs> I, yeah, you got that I was one in down. the air. <laughs> That's pretty damn good. Love it. Love it, man. And then, so, was there a pinch me moment? You get that province gig and you go, wow, like I have, like I've got, I've got exactly what I want here. And was the approach um, from their perspective, okay, you, we trust you and, and you get to take it? Or was there a box that you had to play in? Well, you know what, when I, when I got there at first, I had to pay my dues just like everybody else did, even though my my aspiration wasn't the same as everybody else. If they went there wanting to cover the Canucks or the Lions, I was there wanting to cover high school sports. Mm -hmm. um, Dana G was covering high school sports at the time. Uh, so I kind of was working on the desk doing anything I could to pitch in. Eventually, um, I can't remember what happened, but Kent Gilchrist uh, stepped down as a sports editor, became a columnist, and Lowell Ulrich became the sports editor. And Lowell, yeah, he went he went to the walls for me, and he got a commitment for one to two pages a week of, oh, no of high school sports on a weekly basis on Thursday. That's how that whole thing started. And had anything even been close to that before, up to this point? Well, you know, people people, if you look in the in the sun in the province and from the, in like the. 60s and the 70s they covered high school sports pretty darn well it wasn't done on any kind of consistent basis and it was more just like little game wraps right uh, and then a maybe little previews before the provincial started but in terms of you know doing feature-length stories on young athletes and having them there every week that's the first it, it really was the first and it was I just feel so fortunate that that Lowell did that and that we went ahead and got all that stuff done mm-hmm to get the chance to do that, it was just, you just felt so privileged to have the chance. I yeah. mean, who am I to pick each week who should be featured? It was hard to do, right? Mm -hmm. you, you do these and and I, I read some of them. <laughs> I can remember all of them. I was so excited to write them. I drove out to, was it Agassiz or somewhere, just, just to, because... There was one kid there I wanted to write a story about. And I spent two hours driving there and another two hours driving back and just Greg it was Tifting. Just, it was the whole week, you know. Was it? Was it? What's his name? Tifting? Wasn't there a big guy from Agassiz? Kevin I don't Tifting. Know. Yeah, right, you're talking. About. Yeah. I don't think it was him. I think it might have been on the coach there. I, I can't okay. remember exactly what. It was one of my first ones. Well, when you think about it too, how he is like 
you know, I think, and I'll, I'll just speak from a basketball perspective. Um, I've read and seen so many times where people from other provinces say, you know, what what BC is able to offer from a provincial championship standpoint is kind of elite and it's like next level and it's not like anything else. And I think you're a huge foundation of that. You, you'll never say it. You'll never give yourself the, the time of day to, to give yourself credit for that. But when you think about I'm serious. If I mean, do do I go to Alberta and open the paper there and see the same amount of stories and weekly updates and a website with rankings for four tiers and in-depth scores and comments? Like, I, I don't, I'm going to guess no, and it's no knock on Alberta. I'm, I'm just saying that what you're able to provide for these youth is huge. Combine that with, you know, the football, the volleyball, the other sports that I'm sure you wish you could get to even more. But when you when people say the British Columbia Provincial Championships are are elite, a lot of it has to do with the coverage that it gets. There's there's no other way. I mean, if we could have these great tournaments, if no one wrote stories about them, would would anyone know? No, it's not, you know, so I, I think you need to give yourself a little bit of credit and all, all the work that you've done and, and look back at that. And, and I know you're probably exhausted on the Saturday night after that LEC week, but the amount of work that you put in for just as much as you can for like some single A school from Grand Forks or, you know, the top 4A school, it matters and it's what makes it a great experience and another reason why we wanted to have you on man oh it, wow thank you that just means it just means the world to me to hear that i, I you know what you just there, there's many silent hours doing this where you <laughs> you're pumping out stories and you're making phone calls and and you wonder what the impact is i mean i was let's take a walk into howard samura's brain this evening 12 21 a.m saturday night the chancellor <laughs> tournament Howard types away. I'll tell you what, the fried chicken wasn't good enough. There's not enough reason for me to be doing this story. You know, I, I get it, man. I bet I, not to cut you off, but I can only imagine probably just like, whoo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, but you know what? There's so many rewards to it. Like I, I literally, I'm flabbergasted anytime any, anyone I wrote about like mentions me like later and they're full grown adults and they still have remembered this. Like mm. I, I went to, I go to chapters all the time at Metro town to kind of check out the magazine rack. And I love to walk through there and, and I always have my pod going and I was listening to the Casey Archibald one on Sunday. The moment I walked in the store and got to my magazine, Casey Archibald mentioned me and I'm like, this is so great, man. You sure did. It's so, it's so gratifying. Like I don't, mm-hmm. I can't put it into words what that means. Like, you know, even mm-hmm. he said, he well, you kind of did. You kind of did at the start. You talked about how you you take the ride with these kids. Yeah. They don't realize yeah. it, but you see them from, you know, whether it's grade eight to 12, like our school or nine to 12, like most high schools in the province. And you see how they grow and develop and what they become like you're part of their journey, maybe from afar, maybe up close. Those are those are your kids that I coach. Those are your kids that I teach every day. That's your connection. Right. And that's so. You know, you have touched on it, man. It's it's great. It's amazing. Yeah, thank you. And you know, hey, before I got to the province, I you know, it was and I said I could do a whole episode just talking about Steve Ewan. Yeah. You know, it is I think it's so special. And and he's not given to this kind of sentiment. I he just it, you know, it's not in his personality, I don't think. He's Ewan. To, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. To gush about stuff. But you know, this kid walks into my office at the now newspaper and he well he phones me first and he says mm. i have to get a work experience part in my in my journalism degree so can i come and work with you because i think charlie probably told charlie giordano the journalism teacher told him 
that mm-hmm. I was a sports-specific kind of person, and it might be good for him to come. Well, he showed up, and I always hope that young people who come in that want to work, and he's not that much younger, but he is, I'm trying to think, he's like uh, seven or eight years younger than me. I talk to young kids all the time, and you know what? They're never fully understanding of the high school beat. Like, they don't get what it is that makes it great. And I understand that because they're young and they're going to grow into it. And if their perspective is such that they see how valuable it is, they'll 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 stick to it. But it just never happens. But that guy, mm-hmm. the, from the first day he came in, I, I've never told him this, but I could see that he knew it. Like, right from the start. High school's big. Oh, okay. I totally get it. And from that point forward, you know, although he does so many other things, right, yeah. he doesn't specialize in it. Um, just because of, you know, all the other duties he has at the paper right now. But he, he certainly is the guy that, that does their high school writing and some of the university stuff too. But right from the start, he was like me, just mm-hmm. in terms of how he looked at it. And and I think that is incredibly rare. And I just had to mention that, Aaron. I just had to say yeah. that about him because... It's true. Yeah. It, how How rare is that? How rare is that to get two guys... And if you think about at the daily newspaper level, as it pertains to high school sports in BC, that it's the two guys that worked at the now and one guy came and phoned me as, a work, as the work experience guy and came and, and, and went to the province as well after me. And it's just, it's, you know, we don't talk a whole lot. We don't hang out, mm. you know, but yeah. I just, you know. That's cool. Yeah, I just think it's cool. I just think it needs yeah. to be said. Yeah. That, well, uh, I can speak to it too, because he was the... He was the writer when I was in high school for the local paper for us, right? So we saw him all the time. Any story that I go back to, it was written by him, right? You know, the year that we won, he had eight pages of coverage on us and things yeah. like that, right? And I remember he took me out to like Red Robin for dinner, things like that. You know, just that <laughs> kind of funny, dry, sarcastic humor every now and then. I'll get a text from him and things like that. So absolutely yeah. appreciate you saying that and highlighting that. And and you already mentioned another name, Dan Olson, being a Burnaby guy, now teaching in a Burnaby school. He worked so so hard to to put out great coverage for for our sports as well so there's lots of great people yeah yeah and this really funny thing about dan is dan comes up to me in the press box at bc place we're covering the high school football championships uh the last one in 2019 when vancouver college won the won the triple a and we start talking and and i find out that he went to san secondary school when i was there we were both there at the same time we didn't even know each other it's the it's the weirdest thing how how connected uh, all that stuff is, but yeah 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 he 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 is so loyal to his beat you know and it's it's great to see and the other guy that doesn't get talked about as much is Mark Booth uh, mm. at the at the Richmond News and uh, and at the Delta Optimist is just a great friend and someone who I've got all the respect for all the time in the world for just a terrific guy who never lets his community down when it comes to uh, high school and university sports. And and these are, I think, real heroes of the community, mm-hmm. right? So I love that. I love how you frame yeah. it, like never lets his community down. I don't think people know I would never, because th- we're not in your shoes, right? So we don't ever think of it like that. But when you think of the the job of taking on a community, pretty powerful, can be stressful. But to say it that way, you know, is, is huge, right? That never lets the community down is, that's awesome. I really thought yeah. it like that. You know, and when if you're to ask those guys, you know, what it is that eventually can wear on you and make it really tough, it, it's mm-hmm. that aspect. It's the shoulder of responsibility that if you care, you can't let a kid down. Yeah. You know, you just can't do it. It's and, easier to just not care, right? 
Yeah. It's, 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 I, that's a great perspective. And I'm glad you can see that because Mm -hmm. you know what, you got athletes on here every week, but we writers, that's kind of our, Oh, and I'm sure there's times you're, you're leaving a gym and you text your wife and she's just like, or you say, Oh, tomorrow I'm this. And she goes, but how are you supposed to put it into words to describe to her what you get from it? You know what I mean? And what you feel like your job and your calling is it's, it's no different than coaching. It's the same. Right, it's the yeah, exact same. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm sure it is. And you know yeah. what? I, 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 I'm so lucky to have an understanding wife. You know, just it's. Aren't we all? Yeah. <laughs> I said I met her in journalism school. She was taking the journalism one at Quantlin when I met her. So we've That's been together amazing. a while. Now. Yeah, love it, love <laughs> it, man. You know, sometimes as a podcast producer, you deal with things that are uncertain: people's equipment, laptops, shaky internet. All that kind of stuff is taken into consideration. All that kind of stuff is taken into consideration during a recording. But what isn't shaky? But what isn't shaky and is always consistent is the quality and service of Good Lad Pub, Good Lad Clothing, and Parkside Brewery. Now you've heard me talk about the Rain Champ clothing that Good Lad carries, and my favorite drink, the Dreamboat Hazy IPA that Parkside serves. But I just wanted to give a shout out to three incredible friends of the program who have been supporting us since the very beginning. We would like to give a quick shout out to Shane Meyer at Midland Clothing and Travis McLean and Sam Payne at Proxima Brewery for supporting us since the very beginning. Support them because they support us and we love all their products. Thank you to both Midland Clothing and Parkside Brewery for supporting this episode and probably till the end of time, all the episodes of A Hoop's Journey. Now, back to our conversation with Howie Samura. One of the things I found really entertaining, just to kind of switch up here, is uh, you mentioned, you know, you think people always want to ask you about the Grizzlies and they associate with the Grizzlies. If I'm being totally honest, I had no idea that you were the main writer for the Grizzlies. i dead serious. Probably because I wasn't really reading papers. I was watching highlights and yelling at Big <laughs> Country or whatever. But how were those years and what were they like? Yeah, like, I, I mean... Yeah, it's like a pet peeve of getting asked. Yeah, you did. I, I absolutely what... do not mind. I would love to talk about them. I don't, I don't keep up like I should with the current NBA, and I think that some of that might come through in what I have to say about what it was like covering the Grizzlies. But it was like I say to people, you know, to, to journalism students and people who ask me, like, what was your dream job? What would it have been? And mm. And literally it was to cover the NBA. It, this is before it even kind of came, right? It was just – if you had to shoot yeah. for one thing that you wanted to do, it would have been to cover the NBA. And and uh, you know, how can you how can you explain or rationalize how it is that you finally get to the daily paper? I like a lot of people get to dailies quickly. I slogged it for like nine years before I got there, and within two years of getting there, I called Arthur Griffiths one day, and he said, "Yes, we're looking into this," and everything turned for me. Like I just wow. It was unbelievable. So Lowell Ulrich, who was the sports editor, is reading the USA Today one morning, and I walk in. This is in February of 1993. And he says that there's three groups trying to get an NBA team in Toronto, and they're hoping to get a team for 1995-96. And he says, well, if there's three in Toronto, I bet there's at least one here in Vancouver. Make some calls. So I called Arthur Griffiths, and he said yes. (laughs) And so, like... Just a routine morning turns into this unbelievable back page story that everybody missed. I got, I mean, if you're going to ask me what's the biggest scoop I've ever had, it's, it was, it's obviously this one is saying yeah. that 
Vancouver is pursuing the NBA, February the 23rd, 1993. Like, you don't forget those dates. That's the day the, the issue came out. And I remember phoning Paul Chapman, who's now, you know, one of the top, uh, you know, editors, uh, you know, and, and all that stuff at the, at the province and the Sun, one of the, one of the, one of the top people there. And I phoned him and I said, you know, do you think that this is going to be an exclusive and he said, you know, I don't think I don't think the other paper has it, but you know, it, it may well be. Who knows? And when the morning came, we looked and they had completely missed it. And everybody in the Vancouver media panned the story. They just said it'll never happen. It was like it was just the shot at the moon, right? So is that and like it, your is that like your sleepless night as an athlete or a coach where you're just like, you know, do you have a tough time finalizing that story and hitting send? Or are you perfectionist? Like what's your craft there? Were you confident enough in your ability that, you know, you've looked it over a few times and you go, I like what I see, but then knowing the impact of that story, is that like a sleepless night for you? Or does when the head goes on the pillow, you get your good five or six hours in like us old people, we only get five or six good hours nowadays. But. <laughs> when I went from the province to varsity letters, that part of my life mm-hmm. changed completely. And, you know, that's what Steve and, you know, Ben Kuzma, and JJ and, and Patrick Johnson, those all those guys at <laughs> They do an incredible job. That pressure is, they'll, they'll, they won't say it, but mm-hmm. you know, I've lived it. I know it's not easy, right? You, It's not just, it, it, it becomes more that you don't want to make a mistake yeah. because you can't change it. Yeah, yeah. You know, online, you just go on there and you can change things in two seconds, mm-hmm. you know? And, I, and even when I made minor mistakes, I took it so hard. If I got a kid's high school wrong in the story, I felt horrible. You know, like right. uh, I once said that Pasha went to Auburn, <laughs> not Clemson. Oh, yeah. And, and, and Pasha, I phoned him and he goes, Auburn. He was like, you know, he was, he yeah. loves me, but he was offended. Yeah, yeah, yeah of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Tigers, right? And I'm just, yeah, yeah. I didn't get it right. And I went, oh my gosh, those ones you can't take back, right? And believe me, I've made worse ones than that, right? It, it, it was, it's stressful. Yeah, for sure. Help my curiosity here, like, who were some of the best interviews? Who were some of the worst interviews? What was that culture like? Um, you don't have to say too much, but just... just what, must be NBA? Yeah. Well, I mean... Were you more beat writing? Or were you interviewing people? Like, was there anyone you just sat down with and chatted with that you were like... Oh, yeah, I wrote features. Yeah, I wrote features. I had I had a two-page Grizzly spread that I did each week in addition to all the game coverage. Okay. Yeah, I mean, the, the Grizzlies guys themselves were great to chat yeah. with. I mean, there's... It's, it's an interesting dynamic. You as a basketball coach can understand this, although, you know, you don't have a, a team of reporters waiting outside your gym door to interview your guys every day. Well, you know, uh, or maybe no, no, yeah, no, we definitely don't. Yeah. <laughs> but you get to know, you get to know the guys, right? And yeah. some of them are good. Some of them are, are, are not quite as, I guess, loquacious is the word, but, you know you have to walk a fine line there of not offending anybody or you're not mm-hmm. going to get any quotes. I mean, it's tough, right? It's how do you walk that line? Right. But you get to know the guys on the Grizzlies team quite well. It's, it's you know, from around the rest of the league, the, the media relations director from those teams will tell you who's good to talk to, who won't talk mm. to you at a certain time. Like I remember the Seattle uh, Sonics people told us, you know, like the, Dressing rooms are open up to, I can't remember what the time is now before the game, but there's a, there's a period where reporters can go right into the dressing room and interview the athletes. But Sean Camp did not do it. Like, you don't even ask because he won't talk to you before the game, right? So you knew there were certain guys you couldn't talk to. On the Grizzlies, I, I would say some of them were incredibly thoughtful. Like, Byron Scott was 
tremendous. He was just here the first year. Blue Edwards is probably number one, I think, just about in any reporter's book, just in terms of you could ask him anything. Like, it didn't even have to be about basketball, and he would never shy away from the question. Hmm. And uh, he was he was conversational. He was he was terrific. Grant Long. Oh yeah, what was really really good. He he wasn't you know so sports centric too. He could talk about anything. I'm trying to think. Sharif was he was good, but he was so young when he got here. I mean, Sharif was so magn- like to to be mm-hmm. able to watch one guy every day and and you know he's the guy that has to elevate the entire team and he's that young, like. Mm-hmm. He was the Pac-10 player of the year as a freshman. And I, I remember that in the 95-96 yeah. season. Mm-hmm. And you'd have, probably have to go back before that to like wooden vintage UCLA to find out the last time a freshman, of course, right. freshmen weren't even playing. Mm-hmm. It was incredible. Like the season he had at Cal before he came to the Grizzlies. And then right before the draft, they brought Sharif in for a workout and he actually they actually had a media session with him and we went into the interview room at GM place and he was he wasn't ready for it right yeah but to see him mature and become the voice of that team it was incredible to watch that he was just a gentleman and you know what he was he was he was tremendous like I just yeah I miss the guy he he was great yeah Yeah. you can sense that in your body language man just how you started to talk about him you could sense that there was like a little bit of connection and you missed that. Yeah. So touch on that. What were your thoughts? I mean, other than being like, okay, now what I'm going to do for a job, but the Grizzlies leave, like, were you as frustrated um, as people like myself and others? Like, did you think, did you think that we ever really had a chance? What are your thoughts? Are you going to speak off the record here? Like what, you know, do you think we <laughs> gave it, do you think we gave it a good enough try? Did we, obviously was, we didn't do everything. We didn't do everything perfect. Right. You, Aaron, how much try did you think there was to keep the team here? I don't think there was much. Yeah. So I thought about this question today during the mm-hmm. day and mm-hmm. there it's, it's such a. Oh, you multi- think you can predict my questions now? Hey, Smora. Okay. <laughs> all right. Yeah. All right. We get it. You're big time. We know, we know. <laughs> no, it's, it's, it is a natural question. And it's interesting because I think the main thing to consider Aaron is if you think about Vancouver as, as a sports city, there was no outcry for the NBA. No, there was none. Right. Nobody thought it was ever going to come here. Nelson Scalbania had tried like 19 years before or something like that, and he couldn't bring it here. That it never got off the ground. Mm-hmm. But, but so 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 there was nothing happening. Nobody thought it was coming, and all of a sudden, it's coming. And when something gets thrust on you that quickly. I think, right? It's not embedded in your sports scenes DNA. There's no expectation of it. And it's not like I'm not saying there weren't incredible NBA fans in Vancouver because there were, but they were Mm -hmm. a small minority group of people uh, who largely are people we know probably in our own community of, of people that we would deal with who right. absolutely loved the Sonics or, or watched any NBA they could. But when this team got here and didn't win, there was no connection to it right. from the people who didn't know it was coming and didn't fight for it. And it just landed in their lap. And what connection do you have for this team? Mm-hmm. And so when everyone sensed blood in the water and tried to buy this franchise and rip it out of town, there was not a 
large enough group of people mm-hmm. who fought for it. And I'm not not saying anything bad about those whose hearts got ripped out because no, they of course. Were there. But I was this is what I was thinking about today, right? Mm-hmm. The caretakers of the sport in BC and in Vancouver in particular right now happen to comprise a group of kids who watched them here. Mm. And and those who nostalgically wear their gear all that kind of stuff. There's way more of an investment right now in, in if it came here and not letting it go. Regardless mm-hmm. of whether they're well-heeled people or not, there would be a movement afoot. At least there'd be a movement. There was nothing the last time, right? It just left. It just got to leave because they kept losing. It's true, yeah, because I, I was one of those young people and mm-hmm. never really understood it all or whatever how it works. But when we're talking and listening to you speak, like the word we've used already, there was no culture, right? We didn't have a basketball, pro basketball culture ingrained in us, right? And so oh, that's good perspective, man. Yeah, it's interesting thinking of it that uh, that's way. That's what I yeah. think. And, and no, you know, I think you're right. But but so many things went wrong. And it was it was so, I don't know how to put it, like... And I've told this story before, like I got offered the job at the Memphis Commercial Appeal to go cover the Memphis Grizzlies. And mm. I, I accepted it. And as summer came that year in 2001, my family, we were getting ready to to leave. We had called the moving no van company. We had somebody wow. finding us a home, wow. a real estate company in Memphis, all this stuff. You know, school start. And hey, I know this because this is how far we looked into it. School starts in August in Memphis. It doesn't start in September. Yeah, yeah. And they do that for the heat. So we were trying to get the kids there. And at the last second, after I got offered the job and they were getting a green card for me, I phoned the editor at the Memphis Commercial, Sports Editor Memphis Commercial Appeal. And I I just, I didn't get them. And so I started leaving a voicemail. And halfway through the voicemail, I just broke down and I was sobbing, telling him why I couldn't take it. Mm. And when I clicked the phone down, that was it. And I never heard from him. And, you know, they, they, they hired somebody else. And, and you know what? I just, des- I decided to stay, but <laughs> I'm so nothing against Memphis and nothing against the NBA, but I needed to stay. And I know now 25 years later that I needed to stay even yeah. more than yeah. back then. Yeah. Look at you just dropping so many nuggets on us here. Mm. Plus, when you say 25 years later, that makes me feel really old. Oh. It's been that long. <laughs> well, it's not 25, is it? No, it's it's. they left in 01, and it's it's 20 years. But Okay, but still. It just feels like they yeah. haven't been here, right? Yeah, for <laughs> sure. Amazing, man. You ready to jump into fun questions? This has been so good. Uh, you you steer it. However long you need me, just just keep it going. I'm fine. Whatever you want to do. Well, I'm interested because you, you referenced that you're a big music guy, so let's get into that one right away. You get the choice. You get um, you get a two-week pass, and you can take whoever you want. You get to go to a few of your favorite concerts. Best seat in the house, live, dead or alive artists, groups doesn't matter. Who who is how we going to go watch? So, so there's a time machine factor here, right? Yes, sure. Hey. Oh, I love that. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Well, okay. So here's here uh, this one to me. I am a massive record collector, and I I ran a record store of my own for five years or something like that really no way and the reason i did it was i you know i love interacting and and doing that stuff with the records but at the same time i got to buy collections i would i was buying and i was doing this 
at, at the province and at the at varsity letters it kind of the, the my record store time spanned those two those two places doing my sports but any spare moment i had i was off buying records and i bought so many like like i don't even want to get into how many records i have even still but you know i would come across the ones i had when i was a kid i kept multiple copies i think my favorite record of all time is asia by steely dan wow so, yeah, so, you know, the the ultimate kind of highbrow, jazz rock, funk kind of combo, Walter Becker and Donald Fagan. And the weird part about it, Asia comes out in like 77, and they don't tour. They're, they're, there are these genius guys, Becker and Fagan, who write this incredible record, um, and they don't tour. But they've started. They before Walter Becker passed away recently. You know, they 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 um, they started touring again. But in 1977, they had they were in their phase of refusing to tour. So my dream concert would be everybody involved with the recording of the, of the record Asia playing a live gig, and we get to see them play the record, start to finish, all seven or eight tracks, whatever it is. So like I'm geeking out on all my favorite musicians, my favorite guitar player, Larry Carlton's there, Bernard Purdy's there, Chuck Rainey on bass. And it's just an incredible collection of musicians and they play Asia start to finish. That that would be number one. And Love it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the other ones, you know what? They would be my favorite concerts that I've already seen. I would want to yeah. see them again. And so May of 1979, I'm in 10th grade. My favorite rock band of all time is Triumph. The Canadian yes. man. And and the reason I like them is I'm a guitar player, and their guitar player is this guy named Rick Emmett, who is he is the most versatile guitar player I've come across in terms of the guy plays, he, he if you want metal, he's there with it. Just any kind of boogie rock, he can play incredible jazz, he plays flamenco guitar, and he and he puts them into the same show. Even at their prime as a, as a hard rocking band, they were playing Spanish guitar pieces in their sets, right? So mm-hmm. I would love to see that gig one more time, May of 1979 at the Peony Gardens, which was my favorite place to go see concerts. Uh, and and another one that I would see if I could add one more, it would be it would be Rush in 1978 when their record Hemispheres came out at the Pacific Coliseum unbelievable show they they played so much of that record there and and the musicianship of those guys are one of my favorite bands of all time as well uh i would love to see that concert again as an adult but but those guys being at the age they were in 1978 so that's that's kind of what my dreams would be those three and i'm I'm guessing you ended up in um better shape i don't know if you listened to the lars hansen episode he talked about going to pink floyd and um he found himself on a patch of grass at three in the morning outside Peony Coliseum. Oh, I didn't hear that part, but yeah, I'm just and like, got home and his mom yelled at him because it was so late. Oh my gosh. But just the fact, I mean, when you look at who actually came through town, it's unbelievable. Mm. Everybody came through Vancouver, right? Like even well, that's the thing is, here. well, yeah, like that's, maybe it was Zep. It was one or the other, but either way, like just, you know, they had to tour. That's how they made their money, you know? Right. Like it's, so it's, it's just, it's a different sense in, in, in terms of today's music where, you know, it's downloadable and things like that and not necessarily as, as required to get on the road. Right. So yeah, no, no, the, the late seventies, eighties would be a nice era to go back to and, and yeah. check it out. So yeah, my wheelhouse you. is like 70, 76 to about 81, you know, there's my, mm-hmm. my favorite kind of time, but I like everything. 
like i love classical music too i mean i just i just can't get enough so that's cool that's yeah. cool see who would have known you had a record store there we go all right how do you feel about ketchup on macaroni yeah what what's up with that i don't i don't know that's that's like so bizarre to me like i would never put ketchup on macaroni Corbin? i've never heard of i've never even heard of anyone applause doing please And when you say macaroni, are you talking about like a craft dinner or actually crafted? You know, it's really like a, everybody goes to the craft dinner thing. They say, well, I would put it on craft dinner, but I wouldn't put it on like my mom's, you know, mm -hmm. macaroni. But it's just offside altogether. doesn't matter what it is. doesn't my belong. My favorite craft dinner is like you make it and then you just put it in the fridge and then you put it a little bit in some foil the next day and just heat it up in a toaster oven. Oh, so good. So you don't even eat it. You make it. I don't, don't eat, don't it, the eat day it. That I make, I just I make it to reheat it. And eat it. it tastes better. There's something about the. I don't know what it is. Corbin Casmus. This I man was to... worried about being on this podcast. He's just blown our minds. I'm gonna have to try that. <laughs> I'm gonna have to try that. I'll, Howie, I will. I will get back to you on that. <laughs> Love it. Um, Corbs, you got a, one of your two questions for for Howie. Yeah, so the uh, the fun one I have, I'll leave the bigger one for later one, but uh, the fun one I have, I think I've asked I mean, a couple of guests, but hobby that you wish you could have picked up or, you know, not too late to pick up. You know what? The first thing I would say is apologies to every golfer and golf coach <laughs> in BC. <laughs> Ever since I became a journalist, I, I just... I tried it once and I couldn't do it. And, and thus I really don't understand it enough. And I, I know, you know, as, as a writer, I can see that it's a classic sport to write about just like cross country running, I feel is right. And, and, and football mm -hmm. is and all this stuff. I, one day I would love to learn how to play golf. And I don't know. <laughs> It'd be kind of cool. Like I have, I, I played one round in my life when I was in yeah. high school, and that's about it. I uh, and that's something I wish I had done. I used to make a lot of fun of golf. I used to think it was pointless. Um, never saw myself being someone getting into it. And now, like I still, I don't, I don't, I'm not the guy who goes to the range to work on his game. I don't necessarily have, but I have played more this summer already than I have in my entire life, and I'm really enjoying the challenge of it. It's pretty unique, right? It's uh. It's a unique, it's a unique thing. So yeah, it's, and it can be frustrating as heck, but it's, it's still pretty fun, you know, especially when you get out there with uh, just a good group of people and nice day, it's, it's pretty hard to beat. So get Great on advice. it. It's never too late. On that. Ne yeah. Never too late. Yeah. <laughs> is there something you've read recently or a quote that you live by or a couple quotes, or is there a favorite book to you that stands out? I mean, I'm look. Corbin and I are looking at the amount of books over your right shoulder and then the amount of magazines over your left. So obviously, I know what you do for a living, but uh, here he goes, getting up. Where is that book? There's, I was, I was, I was actually thinking of doing a story on, on basketball books, you know? Uh, I, I know you're asking more from a philosophical sense of books or whatever. No, 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 no. Well, your world, we're just living in it. <laughs> there's a book out there called The Essence of the Game is Deception. Have you heard of it before? No. This is a basketball book written by Leonard Coppett of the New York Daily News, I believe it was. But it, you know what? It's, it's almost like the first one or two chapters in this book are, are so basic about the rules of basketball and what is important in basketball, but, but they're so simple that they're beautiful. 
the way the guy has written this, right? And mm-hmm. I refer to that when I get stale and, I, and I'm, you know, doing a broadcast uh, and I want to really point out what's happening on the floor and why a, a basic skill set is always going to be so important. I look at that book and I don't know what it is about that book. Maybe others won't think of it the same way as me. But that book I bought before, I was on a Grizzlies road trip. We were in Cleveland. It was game day. I was just walking around outside and I found a bookstore and I found that book. And I've just never, like it's dog-eared. It's just trash, That's right? Cool. I love the yeah. book. Yeah. <laughs> There's parts of the book that I don't, I'm not interested in. But just yeah. the, the early chapters, how he describes the game. Mm-hmm. and. As a coach, I mean, maybe you'd agree. I mean, there's so much about deception, right? The essence. I don't know if you'd call it the essence of the game, but so much of basketball can be can be brought down to that, all things being equal, right? And, and I just love mm-hmm. that book. Cool. Uh, so, yeah, love maybe it. I'll throw that out for my selection. There you go. Yeah. Right on, man. Who's been the most important person or people in your life? My dad. Uh, and maybe it's a stock answer, but my dad, John Samura, was so important to me. Um <laughs> I don't know how to, I don't even know how to put it, but you know, just, just from a father son perspective, he taught me to love sports and he watched, I mean, I'm not a hockey guy by any stretch. I, but when I was younger, it's all I cared about. Um, I have my 70, 71 Opeachy set strictly because, wow. you know, that's the first year I watched and, you know, he was a Leafs fan, but I loved Montreal Canadiens and they <laughs> won the Stanley cup. The first year I watched hockey all I saw that year was the playoffs. And Ken Dryden was called up six days before the season ended, and they, they won the Stanley Cup that year. And it was an incredible experience. Once he got me to watch that, I was a sports fanatic. And, you know, mm. yeah, and I'll take it from there. And he, and, he, and he just told me so many things about the game that I still haven't. They're just the random things, right, that he's told me about the game. Like um, Red Berenson, I guess, who played at Michigan and was a, a player in the NHL, scored – Gosh, I should get this right um, in his honor, but I think he told me Red Berenson scored like five goals or six goals in a game. And so the city of St. Louis, where he was playing, bought him a car and they all got mad at him because he sold it later after mm-hmm. he won it. Like, I remember him <laughs> telling me things like that, right? And, yeah. um, and he had, you know, my dad had gone through a lot. I mean, he was Japanese Canadian. He was interned during the war. Uh, our family lost everything we had, you know, but, but mm-hmm. he, he just kind of showed me how to live life the best way that you can and you know just just to be good to everybody and you know he had some real issues you know like um not only my mom my birth mom passing away at a really young age you know he wanted a mom for us so he got married very quickly after my mom passed away and Mm -hmm. my stepmom had some real issues um you know uh, i guess i can say i've never said this to anybody but my my mother suffered from a level of mental illness while i was in high school that was staggering and we Mm. didn't know what to do we did not know what to do, and, and uh, it was it was tough. And so, you know, he, he kind of got me through real tough times. And uh, he passed away September of 2018. He was 97 when he passed. Wow. My mom, my birth mom died at 37. My, 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 my dad died at, at 97. Try to wrap your head around that. It's, it's uh, very, there's a, there's a lot of years in between there. But, uh, yeah, that, that's kind of been my life. Not to get too dark here or anything, and I'm sure, you know, it's, it's always hard to say goodbye to a parent, but, uh, you know, the last thing you want your dad in his 100th year to go through is a friggin' global pandemic, you know what I mean? I'm, I'm sure he probably is sitting up there at heaven 
at least having a little bit of a chuckle knowing that he timed it well. <laughs> you know what I, I mean? I could not agree with you more. I was just saying that uh, to some friends the other day. It's just uh, that's bang on, man. I, I just I wouldn't have want him him to have to have gone through this. It would have been too tough on him. So yeah, then you would have spent the whole year. You would have spent his whole year not being able to see him. You know, or just being worried about get get him getting it right. So timing is interesting for sure. Thanks for so, sharing so many things. This is awesome. I know you're nervous about this question, though, because you feel the pressure. Oh. There is no pressure, all right? It is, again, your story. It's your journey, just like it's your chip journey. So tell oh. us about some chips for you or what this is going to look like. I'm interested. This one this one is like it plums the depth of your soul just to get the... <laughs> <laughs> I was talking to somebody today about this question, right? I was saying, like, this is this is like, this is the question. There's no other yeah. question. This is the question. So it, it, it's like I would say that my favorite chip of all time. So when I went to BCIT and took chemical metallurgy and only lasted six weeks and came crying home to my parents uh, and my dad told me, well, <laughs> you better get a job. You're not sitting around doing nothing the whole year. I got a job at this Mexican restaurant that was just opening in Surrey. And it was being opened by these two Green Bay Packer, former uh, offensive linemen with the Green Bay Packers, I think. They were based in Wisconsin. They were opening this first store in Canada. They were called Chi-Chi's. I don't know if you ever heard of them. Um, no. It was right across from Guilford Center. And it was this incredible Mexican restaurant. It's changed hands a number of times now. It's right by where the movie theaters are at Guilford. Um, and I got a job there. And my first year, I was a busboy. I later became a waiter, but I started as a busboy. And every customer that came into that restaurant got this just freshly fried and salted steaming basket of corn tortilla chips. They were, I can't even describe how incredible. We used to, the, the cooks would fry them in literally in massive buckets. And they would all be ready for us to bring out with salsa, hot and mild sauce to the customers. And the busboys, we would just eat the stuff all day from like literally from like you know, 10.30 in the morning till night, we we're eating these chips. They are so good. And I've never tasted a tortilla chip that good since 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 then. And this is 1982. No salsa? Just oh, straight corn chips? No, I, I, love, I love my salsa. Like freshly ground oh, salsa. Oh, yeah. Oh, so good, right? And, uh, I'm with yeah, you so on that, that. That would be it. Not, but they're not just any. They're, they're from my, my first restaurant job. The, the corn tortillas from Chi-Chi's restaurant, Mexican restaurant in Surrey. Shout out Chi-Chi's. Love it. That was amazing. I thought you were going to say something way more random than that. Well done. Well done. Give me a, give me a chest bump for that one. Corbs, you're up. Two more questions for you, sir. Thank you so much for your time. This has been super, super awesome. Okay, so I this maybe might be a two-parter, but uh, I think number one is how do, how do we keep high school sports alive? And uh, number two is... Um, God forbid, when you retire, how? Where does the next Howard Samura come? Like how? How? Hmm, how do I? How do I? I know this? what you're. I know what you're yeah, asking. No. For, and I, I, yeah, yeah. I mean, I'll answer that one first. I, sure. You know what? I, I, I journalism is changing. I think we all have to realize that, or maybe I do as the old guy here of the of the trio. That you know, <laughs> it's not going to be the same. It's not going to be centered around all these feature stories and game report. It's just, it's not going in. I mean, I would say it's not going in that direction. So my hope is that, you know, the younger generation brings what they can bring. And, but, and, and I love their technology. I love their video. And I love all the things they can do with social media. I just want them to do it with heart. 
I want them to do it like they care, like I would write a story. Please bring that to these. Because the athletes and the coaches deserve that kind of treatment. I realize that, you know, it's not the same medium. Um, but I think I also realize that I have to accept the fact that it can be just as good or better if it's done properly. Mm-hmm. So hopefully that's going to transpire. Um, and I'm not going to, I don't know how much longer I'm going to be doing this. I have no idea, but I just hope that whoever chooses to take up the torch, you know, if they're not going to do it in what I would deem a standard way, you know, kind of brings that to it. I think in terms of what you were asking as your first question, maybe people get tired of hearing this term from me, but I can't think of a better term to call high school sports and the university sports that can, are connected with it. I, I can't think of any better phrase than the ecosystem because I really think there's so many external factors that determine the health of this thing that, that we all love so much, right? And, you know, the, provident, the, the new thing that came in through BC School Sports, you know what, we have to, it passed and let's see what happens here. Let's see if it can indeed work the way we hope it works. I, I, I don't think there's any other option than to think, I hope this works and maybe it will. I mean, let's, let's at this point with it, with it done, I think you have to give it a chance and, uh, you know, hope, hope it works and that the spirit of the whole thing just endures. Because for me, as I've written about athletes, if, if I kind of don't write about athletes as much once they leave the high school university sphere, because I want to, and in many cases I do, but there's so many others that are coming in the other end that need to be covered, right? So I, I just, it's just, it's just too special in this environment to, to let go, right? Like I saw that when I was just, you know, in the eighth grade. I just, I don't know, there's something about it. I can still remember taking pictures with a camera and learning how to develop film just so I could take pictures of our grade eight basketball team at Sands in 1976, right? I just, I just don't want it to go away, you know? And, and Aaron, hey, what can I say? I talked about caretakers, right? You're one of them. You guys are. You're caretakers of this thing. And this podcast mm. is amazing. And I said to you from the start, don't, I know it's hard to keep it going. And there's a, it comes at a personal sacrifice, but you got to keep it going now. It's just ingrained <laughs> and it's just too, you know, I turn it on and I see what I, I, I rather I hear what I hope I would hear. I turned it mm. on Sunday and I found out, correct me if I'm wrong, that Casey Archibald grew up with Levon Kendall. I had yes. no idea that these two great and Levon Kendall. I've never spoken to that guy. He's mm. in this area where I had gone to do the NBA and came back. And by the time I had come back, he was finished with his university career, you know, in the NCAA. But when I heard that those guys knew each other, <laughs> it was so cool. It just is that connectedness that you just know is there. It doesn't matter who you pick. You, you can draw those lines and you can, see what this community means so true i just i just hope that however the next generation wants this to keep going that they do it with heart they do it with soul and that it just keeps on going well said because if you like anything if you don't do it with your heart and soul then it's just not real it's fake and and you won't it won't be a good product no matter what it is whatever you're trying to accomplish right so super well said you've touched on a few things yeah go ahead with that said i just i just have to add one thing and i really do my heart for for jason winslade at the langley events center um for you know allowing me to continue to write um and continue to have that voice that i i said i never had as a kid i just am so great i i am so grateful to 
someone who understands what it means to have our community um, bonded together. And by mm -hmm. him allowing me to write for these last four plus years and supporting, you know, varsity letters through that, through very creative ways, it's been an incredible journey for me. Hey, and what a way to end. That's my hoop. Remember I told you I thought I didn't have a hoops journey? That's my hoops journey, man, right there. Uh, boom, man. There you go. I love it. Listening to you talk to as we as we wrap this up as uh, as an educator, right? It reminds me that I need to be better in my craft and continue to be better at connecting with each and every one of my students because there are kids that are going through things in our building that will never have an absolute clue about whether it be something like you went through with with your mom passing away at a young age or you know a divorce or a tough time in their household or whatever it is. Um, you know, and as teachers, until we build those connections with those kids, we're never going to be able to get across to that. And it doesn't mean we have to know everything about their life, but we do have to understand that each kid in our, in our, in our school is unique and, uh, to get to know as much as we can about them so that we can make them feel safe and feel connected to the school. Cause you spent a lot of time sort of drifting and figuring it out on your own. And it took a teacher, you know, at, at uh, the post-secondary level to push you a little bit and get you those connections. But as educators, we can always do better. And that's just another reminder and something that you've given me tonight. So thanks for the amazing words, the amazing insight, the reflection. Uh, you're a great guy. You already know how I feel about you and, and the hard work that you've put into your craft and what you do for our province. Um, and I literally mean our province um, and so many levels. Uh, before we let you go, any last reflections for you? You've said so many great, great things. Corbin's messaging me on the side here going, this is so awesome. And and it was everything that we knew it would be, Howie. And I knew you kind of questioned yourself and you're rarely on the other side of this whole thing. But, um, you know, I think one of the things that I'll always appreciate about you is whatever, maybe there's no story about the St. Thomas More Nights one year, but I know that you do everything with the best intent and you do it 110% and you do it because you care. And it shows, it shows in your work and it shows in who you are. So, you know, on behalf of Corbin and I, thank you. And we'll leave you with the floor here if you have any anything to say. Well, you know, I, I thank you for those kind words. And I, I just, you know, I, I couldn't agree more to reciprocate what you mean to what we all do in this community, too. Because, you know, as I've gone along in my career, you know, there's certain key individuals that kind of step forward and they become, we use that word caretakers, but really, you know, are, are just become a conscience for us all. And I, and I just appreciate everything you've done through these really tough times on social media, especially none of it's been missed all of it's been seen and it's it's very appreciated. Uh, I will say that, you know, to close from my part, that I I am the least likely person to have gotten to what I've done in my life. Like I never would have guessed in a billion years that I could have found this path in life and been able to contribute in this way to this incredible community. And, and I'm so proud to do it. Like I'm just, it, it is, like I, I feel like I can walk into any high school in BC and I can I can talk to somebody and be on, you know, a similar wavelength with them about caring about what's happening with these kids. And let's just keep doing that. Let's just keep caring for these kids and making sure that they get this experience that they can carry on and, and, and they can then turn around and do the same when, when they get a little older. I think it'll be an amazing world. It's the only way to kind of keep this uh, special ecosystem of ours together. There it is from Yoda himself. How how else are we supposed to frame that? Howie, you're an absolute gem. Uh, there will never be another one of you. You are one of a kind. There's no doubt about that. And um, it was a thrill to get you on episode 63. Um, 
One of the best to do it, man. We're thankful for you. Like and subscribe. We'll see you on the next episode. Shout out to Parkside Brewery, Good Lad Clothing, our main man, Corbin Castris. This was a good one. Later. And by the way, it's just nice to have, like, I see the shock note, I see the boom arm. It's just nice to have someone who has, like, good audio equipment rather than, oh. like, ooh, we'll okay, use the AirPods. Good. And as I walk outside, walking my dog in the street, and, like, <laughs> oh, my God, I just, I was, like, deep into the weeds of, like, the spectrograms of audio, yeah. just trying to eliminate things like that. I'm like, it's just nice. I don't have to, oh, I'm not going to touch this audio, which is great. I'm glad, I'm glad.